Welcome to the Emmanuel Baptist Church Podcast. We pray that the sermon you're about to hear would be useful as you grow in your love for God and your love for His Church. Now, here's today's sermon. Well, I invite you to take out your copy of God's Word. If you don't have one, you can grab one in the seat in front of you. It should be, if you're using that Pew Bible, it is page 809 is where we're going to be at. And I do really, uh, I I say this every week to grab your copy of God's Word, but I especially mean it today uh, because you're going to really want to follow along and it will benefit you to follow along as we look at the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus, in the preceding verses, had drawn a large crowd. We see that the last verse of chapter 4, chapter 4, verse 25, says that he's drawing this massive crowd because all the miracles that he's performing. And so, what we find then, starting in chapter 5 through chapter 7, is that he begins to preach a sermon which ends up being the best sermon ever preached and the most famous sermon in all of human history, the Sermon on the Mount. I think this, this text, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, are just etched into history and it's recognizable by nearly anyone on the street if they grew up in church or had any kind of exposure to church. There's the, the, the things within the Sermon on the Mount, they're very recognizable. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That's Sermon on the Mount. Ever heard of the Golden Rule? That's Sermon on the Mount. You ever heard an eye for an eye? That's Sermon on the Mount. Let your light shine. That's Sermon on the Mount. It's better to give than to receive. Sermon on the Mount. So today, we're going to read the entire thing. All three chapters. And that's because I believe His Word bears more fruit in your life than anything I could ever say about His Word. Like Revelation... Blessed is the man who reads this prophecy aloud. His word is living and active, and it bears much fruit when it's read aloud, so we'll do that. And I think this is a good discipline for you and I, for all of us, to soak up long passages of Scripture. Let it be the end of the days where you and I only use a Bible verse of the day. Put that in a coffin, close it, and put a few more nails in it. The people of God should be able to sit and soak up more than a verse at a time, but long passages of Scripture as it is meant to be read. And so that's what we're going to do. And as I read it, I encourage you, follow along. It's not going to be on the screens. And soak it up. Soak up these blessed words. So let's start in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. Seeing the crowds, He went up on the mountain, and when He sat down, His disciples came to Him. 
And he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In this way, your light shines before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to the court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks on or at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, 
let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of the of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than that comes from evil. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For He makes His Son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. 
But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light is in you, in you is darkness, then how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despair the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather in the barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And when are you anxious about clothing? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, And all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you seek the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye. When there's a log in your own eye, you hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who receives asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks for him, asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who is evil, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, 
for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes, gra- are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruit." Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the flood came, the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority, not as their scribes. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word. So much that we can pull from this passage. But I think if I were to try to really boil it in, put it in one pot and say, here's the big idea, there's a lot of them I think, but the trajectory of thought that Jesus has at least, I think, is that being a citizen of heaven should shape every part of your life. Every part of your life. I want to kind of break that into three major sections as I think Jesus naturally breaks them out into throughout his sermon. Being a citizen of heaven shapes every part of your life. First of three, being a citizen of heaven shapes your internal character. Your internal character. That's the Beatitudes. If you're starting back in chapter 5, that's the first part of chapter 5. He starts with our internal character. And that's because from the heart, the mouth speaks. And if you have darkness in your heart, then your whole body is darkness. As he would say later in the sermon. He starts with being a citizen of heaven should shape your internal character. The Beatitudes. Take note of this though. A Christian's character... Character traits are and will be mocked, looked down on by the world around us. Look with me at a few of the Beatitudes, verses 6 through 9. Blessed are the ones who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. 
Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Christian, we are to be hungry for righteousness. And some will call us weird, strange for not craving vile things. We hunger for righteousness. We are merciful. And people will undoubtedly call us pushovers and too soft. No, we're merciful. We are pure in heart. And again, some will call us prudes. No, we're pure in heart. We are peacemakers and some will call us weak with no backbone to stand up. No, we are peacemakers. And when being a citizen of heaven shapes your internal character, at that point then you can let your light shine so they may see your good deeds and glorify your Lord in heaven. Matthew 5.16. It starts with the internal, which then radiates out that others might see. And that's because these internal traits are not lived out in a vacuum, are they? We don't live out our lives in vacuums. These internal traits flow into our relationships and our interactions with other people. Which leads to the second point. Being a citizen of heaven not only shapes your internal character, but very quickly after that, it will shape your external relationships. It always will. And if it doesn't, you need to reassess if you truly are a citizen of heaven. Because citizens of heaven will have transformed characters and therefore shown in their external relationships. That's the rest of chapter 5, isn't it? That's the rest of chapter 5. Jesus follows up the Beatitudes with real-life application and how we should be interacting with people. What do we do if we're pure in heart? Does that just stay in a vacuum? You and your purity? No. No, 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 no. If we are impure in heart, we should not be lusting, committing adultery in our hearts when we look at other people. We should not be objectifying people sexually, Matthew 5, 28. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Do you see? We are to be pure in heart, and thus it will flow out to our relationships and interactions with other people as people with pure hearts. We are to be merciful. And if merciful, we should stay married when our spouse breaks our trust with repeated offenses, grievances, constantly disappointing. We're merciful. And so we do not divorce. 5 verse 32 just shortly after that verse there. 
But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except on the grounds of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. You see, because we are merciful, we are committed. We're peacemakers. And if we are peacemakers, we will not retaliate with aggression, Chapter 5, verse 39. But I say to you, do not resist the one who's evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. We are peacemakers. And not only does Jesus say this, and this is radical in itself, but he says, in fact, not only will you stop there and not retaliating, but you will go beyond that and you will pray for their benefit. Verse 44, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that person that slapped you on the cheek. We are peacemakers internally, and it shows externally. Guys, this is the opposite of what the world would have us do, isn't it? This is the opposite what your coworker would have you do. Your non-Christian family member. If you live out Jesus' words of what it means to be a citizen of heaven, hear me, you're crazy to them. You're a lunatic. Because the world's message and advice is to take care of yourself. You deserve to be happy. Whatever that looks like. If that's leaving your wife, be happy. Don't be tied down. That's getting that punk back because he slapped you. You deserve it. Take care of yourself. Number one is most important. This is the world's advice, isn't it? And Jesus says, no, 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 no. We are internally different and therefore externally radically different. We also see this in in chapter 7. You can flip there if you want to. I'll just briefly mention it. But he jumps back into this in chapter 7 at the very beginning when he starts talking about judge not, lest you be judged. Take the log out of your eye before you would even mention the speck in your brother's eye. This is rooted in the fact that we are pardoned judgment in the gospel. And so that affects how we would be judgmental to others. See, this is all rooted in the gospel because God doesn't expect you and I to do anything that He hasn't already done for us. We would hear these words about about not retaliating, but instead praying for them. We We would hear about being merciful when we're constantly disappointed and frustrated we would hear about him telling us to not lust or even look at someone these are impossible expectations well god doesn't expect anything from us that he hasn't already done for us himself you see he calls us to be peacemakers and he single-handedly forged peace between God and sinners by hanging on a cross. He is the chief peacemaker. 
He calls us to pray for our enemies. And yet He interceded in prayer for His murderers. Father, forgive them as they're nailing His hands. He calls us to give away our tunic. He gave away His life freely and without fight. He calls us to not be adulterous, to not divorce, but to remain faithful. And every day, He faithfully loves us, His bride. And today, when you sin, and when I sin, He refuses to leave His first love. He doesn't call us to do things He doesn't do Himself. But still, naturally, we would say, how in the world could I possibly live like Him? How, God? How, how can I read that? I see you do it, but how could I do that? I think partly that's the point. You can't do that perfectly. And you can't do it at all without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit within you. That is why it's so vital that He would transform our hearts, turn our hearts of stone to a heart of flesh to love Him and to do any good. For without faith, nothing can be done that is good. But I also would say, when, when you would ask, how, how could I possibly do these things? How could I live up to this standard? First answer, you can't without the Holy Spirit. You need Jesus and you need the Holy Spirit working within you. But secondly... You can, I think, work at and grow in these things through a vertical relationship with the source of your strength. And that's, that's the third point here. Being a citizen of heaven shapes not only your internal character, your external relationships, but being a citizen of heaven shapes your vertical religion. You cannot be a citizen of heaven and have no connection with He who is in heaven. Can't. Vertical relationship is centralized and anchored in prayer. I want to look here very quickly at chapter 6 now. This is really the vertical religion part is all of chapter 6. He talks about uh, giving, that's tithing, and, and prayer, and fasting. All of these things are vertical religious activities. And he's I think really anchored in prayer. Chapter 6, verses 5 and 6. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, so they may be seen by others. But it truly I say to you, they've received the reward. When, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who is in secret will reward you. Christians pray. Christians pray. As Christ's citizen, we need connection to our homeland daily. You ever seen the movie Lone Survivor? A um, uh, story about a group of men that go on this um, mission, military mission, and uh, they run into trouble with the enemy, and it's all rooted in because they had no connection to home base. 
They're just trying to get signal. They're trying to get a hold of headquarters saying, what do we do? Here's our situation. And they had no connection. They're trying to climb on the highest mountain to get some radio signal, and they had no connection, and they ran into trouble with their enemy. So it is with us as citizens of heaven. It is deadly if we lose connection with our homeland. But not only as Christ's citizens, but also as Christ's bride. We need to process through life with our Savior. I tell you, after every day, long day, counseling or or working on a sermon, come home, play with the boys. It's crazy to say boys now. And uh, finally put them down. You know what I do? Talk through the day with my bride. How was your day? Here's what happened in my day. Process your life with your spouse. And as Christ's bride, we need to process through life with Him, our Savior. Vertical religion should also include times of not just prayer, but times of fasting. Fasting. That is to abstain from physical pleasure, so to refocus and refuel spiritually. Chapter 6, verse 16, When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received the reward. But when you fast, not if, it doesn't say if, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. Our vertical religion And religion is not a bad word. I want you to hear that. Religion is our way of interacting with God through ritual and ceremony. Those aren't bad words. Those are good things. And our vertical religion, anchored and centralized in prayer, but it should include times of fasting. I think this is a largely forgotten or neglected spiritual discipline. Isn't it? Fasting? And yet I think we're missing out because we neglect it. God gave it to us as a gift. Let me ask you a question. Do you regularly feel spiritually dry? Do you find yourself in spiritual droughts? Maybe you've said the phrase, in a rut. Fasting is a concentrated time of spiritual renewal where you are on your hands and knees before God saying, I'm not getting up until I have poured out my heart before you. It's a concentrated, short amount of time of spiritual renewal. Let me ask you another question. Do you regularly give in to your physical desires? Lust? Maybe it's gluttony? Listen, fasting is a practice for you. Fasting is the way for you to practice putting that flesh on a leash. Not letting it control you, but you controlling it. Fasting is a a way for you to practice that muscle. To set it aside and say, I'm not touching it. For this many hours, it's flexing that muscle, working on that muscle to control your desires and not letting your desires control 
you. Fasting is a glorious thing. It's a gift from God. But hear me, denying your flesh's desires for eternal matters is not just during fasting. Denying your flesh's desires should be an everyday lifestyle. That's why we're getting to the end of the letter now, or the sermon. Christian, the treasures of this world should always take a back seat in your life. Chapter 6, verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on this earth where moths and rust destroy or where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Setting aside your fleshly desires is not just for fasting. It's an everyday thing. The worldly treasures should always take a back seat. And they shouldn't overwhelm us or consume our attention. Right, that's where he gets into, do not be anxious about tomorrow, do not be anxious about what you wear, what you'll eat, because we are not people that are primarily concerned about the flesh. It's important, we should take care of our bodies, but it is not our primary concern. We are people that are heaven-minded citizens of heaven. So I, I think there's probably someone in this room that needs to hear this. Yes, you, you display your faith in what you do spend your time dwelling on, the glories of God, the riches of His mercy, the salvation of your neighbor. You, you display your faith when you dwell on those things, but you don't only display your faith when you dwell on those things, but also you display your faith in what you don't dwell on. Money, stocks, investments, business deals, bills, clothing trends, hairstyles. You display your faith when you don't dwell on those things. Those things are not rooted in your home. We display our faith when we dwell on greater things, the glories of God, the riches of His mercy, and the like. So, I'm going to summarize here. Our faith is not a part of our life. You need to hear that. That is the Sermon on the Mount. Your faith is not a part of your life. It is your life. It consumes your life. It's not a slice of the pie. It's a glaze that covers it and soaks deep within it. It's not just a room in the house. It's the very concrete foundation in every stud that your house is built on. It's not just an article of clothing it's the very fabric which every piece is woven together with. Our faith is not a part of our life. It consumes our life. The word Lord, then, is all-encompassing. He commands and binds your occupation, your family activities, your word choice, your hobbies, your private time, your social time, your school choices, down to the very clothing you wear, the apps you download, the movies you watch. He is Lord. 
Our faith shapes our character, which impacts our relationship, and our faith is strengthened and sustained by vertical connection. And Jesus knew this would sound crazy. (laughs) By the end of it, Jesus knew people would be like, you're nuts. Most people, he said, would reject this path of life. They would prefer more attractive words from false teachers. Now we're into chapter 7. Only a few will be true disciples willing to walk the, what Jesus calls, narrow path and embrace his teaching. Last verse I want to read is 724. Everyone who, th- who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rocks. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Church, this is my last thing for you. May you be one who will embrace this glorious path where faith would become your everything. One way that we show we are willing to commit ourselves to His Word, call ourselves His disciples, is by partaking in communion. It's how we show the world. One of the ways we show the world we're willing to walk that straight and narrow path. So deacons, if you would, come and begin preparing the elements. as This is how we're going to conclude our service. Thanks for listening to today's sermon. If you live in or near Bethany, Missouri, we invite you to join us for our worship services held on Sunday morning and Sunday evenings, as well as our various activities on Wednesday nights. For more information on how you can get involved, visit our website at bethanyibc.com.